5: Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty, the Armstrong and Getty Show. There is no way you can argue that the Supreme Court is now not just another partisan player in national politics. The idea that it's a dispassionate group of of nine people who are going to just look at the law—it uh, seems to me that that has been. Shredded, and what we're left with is a sense that here's just another place, another polarized place where politics is what matters.
2: That's Susan Page of the USA Today on uh, ABC News. Uh, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack's off today. I think he's going to be calling in at some point. Uh, he's uh, doing a big family thing, which is terrific. And uh, but anyway, uh, back to Susan Page. <sighs> It's never clear to me when somebody like her who's bright enough certainly to understand why she's wrong persists in that opinion. Um I mean she certainly might see the world differently than I do, but how hard is it to comprehend that there are differing philosophies of how you view the constitution and how the laws of the United States of America and the states should flow from the constitution. I mean, if anybody spent any time looking into the stuff at all, and I mean at all, like an hour, you understand there, that there are those of us who have a more conservative, not politically, but conservative, uh, originalist view of the Constitution. It was a blueprint for how to organize the government. And human nature doesn't change. It's still a fabulous blueprint for limiting the scope and power of the government. And then there's the living Constitution types who believe that the Constitution should be much looser. We should interpret it the way we want as times change. We should freely We should invent, and I don't want to be prejudicial because there are a lot of people who think like this, and some of them are are, are lovely, and you'd be honored to have them at your next dinner party. But they think it's fine for us to come up with new rights and enshrine them, Uh, the right to uh, an abortion, the right to uh, uh, be naked in public, the right to whatever, and that if down the line we the people change our mind, then we take away those rights. The problem with that though is then all quote unquote rights. I mean because you you hear people saying, "I have a right to go to this baseball game when they're, you know, kept out because I don't know, they chucked a bottle at an umpire or something." Um no, you don't have a right to do everything you want to do. You might want to do it, maybe you get to do it, but that doesn't mean you have a right to do it. So the problem with the the ever changing whatever we say is a right is a right, well, obviously those things that are like bedrock God help humanity uh, in the United States if they ever went away rights, like the right to free speech, the free exercise of religion, uh, right to bear arms, etc. Uh, if everything's right, nothing's a right, right? Anyway, it surprised me that Susan Page doesn't understand that. I mean, because it's spelled out so freaking clearly in the decision is. The Supreme Court in 1972 invented a right that doesn't exist. You can't justify it through any of the time-honored ways we come to these conclusions, wrote the majority. It's not that they said, I don't like abortion. No, it's that the Supreme Court aired in 1972, and it aired badly. Even liberal uh, legal experts, some of them, will agree that, okay, Roe v. Wade was kind of a weak decision. Anyway, I don't know. So let me take you through a, a really good guide and summary to what happened, what's likely to happen. I'll have my comments, certainly. And the next segment, what I think I'm going to do, and no, we're not going to do all, all abortion all the time today. Uh, but what the hell? It's there. Everybody's talking about it. It's on every news show. And people are trying to whip everybody up over it. And again, our theme today comes from the great H.L. Mencken. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed. And hence, clamorous to be led to safety by an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. The recent Dobbs decision, overturning Roe v. Wade, has absolutely opened up a number of cans of worms. Um, On the other hand, it's not quite as crazy as the fundraisers. And uh, and cable news channels and clickbaiters of the world would have you believe. Oh, which reminds me. I'm sorry. So many tangents. Um, Even liberals are pissed off. Even uh, pro-abortion rights activists are pissed off that within hours of the announcement of that uh, the ruling, the release of the decision, within hours, they got three, four, five, six fundraising emails. Everybody's handout all the time. You don't even give, like, uh, those people an hour to be righteously indignant or outraged or talking about the Constitution or whatever. They Immediately, you hit them with the, hey, for 20 or 40 or even $100, we could probably take care of this. <laughs> I mean, immediately. So crass. Anyway. We hold that Rowan Casey must be overruled. With those nine words, Justice Samuel Alito brought to end 49 years and five months of pro-life advocacy, organizing, and institution building, and launched the next chapter of the movement. That, of course, from Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, Alito concluded, joined by Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement on the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The opinion, the concurrences, and dissents, about 212 pages, laid bare the deep divisions not only within the court, but within the court's conservative wing. This is the part that, uh, departing from the text now, this is the part that the clickbaiters and fundraisers don't want you to know. Um, and it's really important. It has to do with the gay marriage and birth control and the rest of it. Now uh, I'm a straight fella, but I'm okay with gay marriage, and and most people are. The birth control thing, I've been snipped, so it's all on y'all. I don't, you know, I don't care. I I couldn't if I wanted to, but um, none of that stuff is in danger for real. For reasons we will explain. Um, so in the strictest, oh, getting back to the division court's conservative wing, in the strict sense, the question before Dobbs was Mississippi's 15-week law. Can't have an abortion after 15 weeks, except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality. Worth mentioning, Europe that we're supposed to worship is oh so enlightened and progressive. That's that's most of Europe. That's That's the standard in a lot of European countries, by the way. Well, no, no, that's just idiot, backwoods, Bible-thumping Republican maniacs who have that stand. No, no, not really. It's very, very common around the world. Anyway, uh, the court's six Republican-appointed justices were united that the statute should stand, including Justice Roberts, despite its purposeful violation of the point of viability uh, and the whole complex framework of Roe v. Wade. They said, yeah, you got to toss out that part of it. Now, Roberts believed the court should just stop there. And restrain themselves, show judicial restraint by reaching the narrowest ruling necessary to dispose of the case. And I quote from Roberts, there is a clear path to deciding this case correctly without overruling Roe all the way down to the studs, recognizing that the viability line must be discarded, as the majority rightly does, and leave for another day, whether to reject any right to an abortion at all. What's your reaction to that sentence? Leave for another day, dot, dot, dot yeah mine too. Uh, Alito and the court's four other conservatives viewed this piecemeal approach as nothing more than a can kicking exercise, dragging out the inevitable when the court could just rip the band aid off. Quote from Alito, the concurrence's request for a middle way would only put off the day when we would be forced to confront the question we now decide. The turmoil wrought by Roe and Casey would be prolonged. It is far better for this court in the country to face up to the real issue without further delay. I would agree. It is absolutely ushered in a, an era of uncertainty and, and fear. But you know what? It reminds me not to underestimate how much craziness there's going to be, because there's going to be craziness. I mean, especially these days. There's all and, you know, I apologize. I haven't even mentioned all of the protests, the vandalism, the violence, etc. all the arrests, people going berserk, um, as people will over the weekend. Uh, it's. Completely counterproductive, by the way. Window smashers and graffiti painters, y'all are hardening the opposition and discrediting your allies when you do crap like that on both sides of the aisle. Uh, anyway, this uh, this whole situ- situation reminds me a lot of when you're like in a bad relationship that you know you should get out of, or a bad job that your your conscience and your heart have been telling you forever. This is a dead end. This is unhealthy. This is not what I want to be doing, et cetera. When you quit that job, unless you know you were able to line up something wonderful in advance, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But when you quit that job or that relationship or, or leave that place where you know you're unhappy, yeah, it ushers in a period of uncertainty and, and decisions to be made and and angst and the rest of it. But you got to go through it. Otherwise, you're stuck. And the country was stuck. Protected from our discomfort by a terrible decision by activist judges, 1972. So, anyway, back to the uh, the narrative and kind of the blow by blow that I'm relying on here from the dispatch. Uh, Justices Breyer, Kagan, Sotomayor disagreed, criticized their colleagues' interpretation, uh, essentially saying you can't throw out a 50 year precedent. Well, the conservative justices replied with a long list of long-time precedents that were horrible decisions and had to be overturned. The lefty justices also said, in doing all this, it places in jeopardy other rights, from contraception to same-sex intimacy and marriage, and finally, it undermines the court's legitimacy. Uh, Well, it kind of does because activists are saying the court's no longer legitimate. But if the court has to choose between doing what's right and and what'll make people mad you shouldn't get the black robe if you're going to just try to avoid making people mad you got to do the right thing so the second concern that eliminating the constitutional right to an abortion could imperil other rights established by the court your gay marriage your uh, your your uh, birth control and, and and all that stuff interracial marriage etc that was their sent second place concern. The dispatch says it's not entirely without merit, but it's pretty damn to entirely without merit. We'll explain to you why all of those arguments are silly and just trying to raise money and get people to the polls next. If you can't hang around, grab the podcast later. It's called Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
5: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
6: This is the most consequential Supreme Court decision in decades. It changes the status of American women as citizens of the United States and as citizens of their states. That's the big picture, but let's not mince words. Women will die. This is a different world for women in America.
1: We will make sure that when a kid is in the womb, they're as safe as they are in a classroom, the workplace. A nursing home, because every stage of life has value.
2: A couple of differing opinions there. Clearly, uh, Terry Moran and Sarah Sanders, as the big abortion uh, ruling on Friday continues to have loud, loud echoes around the country. But first, breaking news. Breaking news, Mike. Wow. Brandon the donkey ready to go. Another Supreme Court decision has been handed down. The soup sided with a football coach who knelt in prayer at the fifty-yard line after games, ruling six to three that a school district cannot bar him from publicly exercising his faith on the field after the game. Uh, continuing a line of decisions in that direction. Officials, uh, school officials in Bremerton, Washington, argued that the coach Joe Kennedy commandeered the government-owned field to promote his faith to fans and students after the game. Mr. Kennedy, a Marine Corps veteran, said, I just wanted to take a knee and thank God after games. So uh, what are you talking about? Um, so he won finally, and that's he's been fighting this battle and, and his representatives for years and years and years. Uh, The argument was that, well, the players will feel pressured because he's a representative of a government school, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But the soups did not buy that argument. Anyway, so football fields are safe for getting on your knees and praying again. Uh, Probably not as significant a decision as the the abortion one. But anyway, back to the discussion of whether or not all those other uh, rights that are allegedly similar, like gay marriage, birth control, uh, gay people uh, getting together and doing whatever they want to do in the bedroom, etc., are being threatened. Um, those rights, like the right to have an abortion, are unenumerated, meaning they're not explicitly listed in the Constitution. But in in a lot of those things, over the past 60 years or so, the Supreme Court has said the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment uh, and and the right to privacy that the justices read into the Constitution make it safe to do all those things. Now, in overturning Roe, Alito's draft opinion argues that the justification for unenumerated right to abortion is not good enough, because that right to have an abortion was not deeply rooted in American history and tradition at all. So the idea that when the 14th Amendment was passed, uh, they probably meant abortion, too, just it can't be justified. Again, n- not that I, Justice Alito, don't like abortion. Nobody should have one. No, just that the 14th Amendment didn't say you could have one that's up to the legislatures. Um, Neither were the rights to contraception, sodomy, or same-sex marriage. So, strictly speaking, says one argument, uh, because their underlying rationale is mostly the same, the fate of all four should be tethered together. If one falls, the others would theoretically crumble as well, according to the dispatch. Um, and, And Clarence Thomas is a long-time opponent of the court's substantive due process jurisprudence in general. As we talked to Tim Sandefur from the Goldwater Institute on Friday about this, and I agree with Tim, I think Thomas is over the top when it comes to this. I think substantive due process is really important. Um, But there's a much, much stronger case to be made for what happens in the the, uh, private, in the marital bed, between two consenting people is absolutely covered by the 14th Amendment, as opposed to the very, very unique situation of abortion where the state or the court, if you will, or the authorities or humanity has to balance the interests of the unborn child. There's no unborn child in two gay people getting married. Now, the argument was made, I'm sure you recall it, that, well, there's no tradition of gay marriage. Marriage is just man and woman. But the justices said, and and I'm not an expert, I have a decent understanding of this, the justices said, well, marriage is as deeply rooted an institution as there can be in the country. And the 14th Amendment, the due process clause says, you know, if you accept that there are gay people, well, they're people. And if they want to marry somebody, yeah, there's a tradition of male-female marriage, but uh, they don't swing that way, so we can't deny. Maybe you think that's the wrong ruling, but it was very, very different than the question of abortion. Uh Getting back to the uh, dispatch, Thomas can dream, but Friday's opinion demonstrated he's on an island. There's little appetite to revisit those cases, even among his fellow conservatives, Kavanaugh, um, wrote quite specifically, no way we're going there. No way. And the other conservative justices at least hinted that they agreed with Kavanaugh, not Thomas. So it's just not going to happen. There's no appetite for it. Bill Maher was, as usual, on fire going after the woke left. We'll share some of that with you in the next couple of minutes. If you can't listen, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
5: strong and getty show hey how you doing
2: jack is off today gathering with his brothers and their offspring at his uh, parents house to help them with a uh, move as i understand it and uh, kind of an impromptu reunion which i think is wonderful don't wait for the weddings and funerals, folks. That's my advice. I'm not good at following it, but that's my advice. Um, so, uh, anyway, thanks for being here. Hope all is well, more or less. You know what's going to save America? Reasonable conservative people and reasonable liberal people mm, forging connections and and a little trust and a little, uh, you know, some bonds. Um ...to fight against the wackadoodles. No need to, to, to describe the wackadoodles. You know them when you see them. We're going to do some uh, Bill Maher here in a second or two. But Maher's a great example. Uh, a guy like Matt Taibbi. Oh, speaking of Matt, uh, uh, next segment. He wrote another brilliant piece. Um, this has to do with a lawsuit that's going on that should be high profile, but everybody's so terrified of talking about it. It's a lawsuit to protect women, by the way. A theme that perhaps you've heard bandied about lately. <laughs> But there's one reason you can't even mention this lawsuit or certainly say that you're in favor of it. And that's because you're terrified of the wackadoodles. But guys like Marr and Taibi, with whom I disagree about a lot of different things, they're reasonable. They understand the difference between I disagree and that's crazy and dangerous. And they're calling it out when they see it. Even though, you know, if you're going to divide... The country, or or philosophy, or whatever, in two in two neat little chunks, which is a crazy way because nobody to do it because nobody lives their lives like that. Uh, but if you were to do that, I guess the woke lunatics would be on the same side as as like Taibbi, who's who's a liberal, a proud liberal. But is he really? Or should there be four or more quadrants of? You know, sane, but liberal, sane, but conservative, et cetera. I don't know. It's up to you. I, the beholder, right? But we'll tell you about uh, Taibbi and that lawsuit coming up next segment. It will shock you, even as it will not surprise you. Uh, but first of all, on his show, as usual, Bill Maher has recognized the real danger to what he holds dear, which is the right to dissent and, and bring about his vision of America, which may differ from yours. But fine. The real danger is not conservatives. It's not Joe Getty. It's the woke lunatics. Let's start with clip number one, Michael.
6: Last week, an 85% Latino congressional district on the border with Mexico, which had always voted heavily Democratic, flipped to the red team. And the campaign manager for the losing Democrats said, we gave up a reliably Democratic congressional seat for no reason at all. We deserve to know why. Well, aside from your terrible attitude, I'm going to tell you why. Because these voters stop seeing your candidate as their lawyer. That's why. Their message to you was, I'm an American now. I'm here. Be my lawyer, not the lawyer for the migrants showing up in my backyard. Latinos despise the woke term Latinx. It's about as popular with them as a reboot of Speedy Gonzales. <laughs> Even the country's oldest Latino civil rights group came out against it. Yet AOC keeps defending it, saying gender is fluid, language is fluid. Yes, and Latino voters are fluid. (laughs) And more of them now than ever are identifying as Republican. So are Asian Americans whose support for Democrats is down 16 points since the last election. A lot of that is because in the name of achieving equity in schools, Democrats in deep blue cities have made it a mission to eliminate the advanced programs at which Asian kids excel. Asian parents said, OK, I wish all kids well, not a racist, but I need someone who acts like my lawyer.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good way to look at it. Uh, I had another point I wanted to throw in her and
6: it flitted right out of my mind, as it is wont to do. Uh, let's just roll on, Michael. Clip number two. If you're a parent and wanted schools to reopen a lot sooner than they did after COVID shutdowns, or think maybe your kid is getting a bad education, partly because it's nearly impossible to fire a lousy teacher, yeah, you're going to say, congratulations, teachers. You got yourself a good lawyer. The Democratic Party's always got your back, 100%. But I've noticed my kid is kind of an idiot (laughs) so I may be looking for new representation president Biden wants to cancel hundreds of billions of dollars in student debt okay but the poorer two-thirds of American kids who don't get a college degree are gonna say why should the people who didn't go to college and make less money subsidize the people who did go and make more You want me to chip in so some liberal arts college can build a bigger rock
2: wall? Well, that's a good one. And, you know, I really like his uh, semi-obvious but powerful description of your representative as your lawyer. Get in there and argue for my interests, please. My kid needs to learn. My kid is depressed, suicidal, anxious, etc., you're arguing for the teachers' union. All the medical experts I, I'm hearing are saying the kids ought to be back in school. Europe's back in school. Asia's back in school. Who's the lawyer for my kid? I'd rather see Republicans elected for all their uh, flaws. So I don't know how loudly I want to say this in case somebody, in case AOC hears it and it makes sense to her pretty little head, which I doubt. But anyway, I think that's a really good description of the representative, uh, you know, process. Uh, one more clip three
6: and then there's abortion a difficult issue for the Democrats to lose on but they're trying (laughs) for decades liberals have said if only men could get pregnant this wouldn't even be an issue and abortion rights are women's rights well that's wrong now or as the kids say hold up When the wokey end of the progressive spectrum talks about abortion now, they shy away from that word women and prefer terms like birthing people (laughs) or people who menstruate because somewhere there's a trans man who's pregnant and I say good for him and I'll be and I'll be looking for his story somewhere in a future issue of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, Democrats, let's take the first word a human animal understands, mama, (laughs) and replace it with something best understood by four Trotskyites at Berkeley. (laughs) As with all these issues, the wavering voter is saying to her lawyer, the Democratic Party, hey, so happy for you that you have so many other clients and that you care so much about their problems and all the pro bono work you do. But you're supposed to be my lawyer.
2: Yeah, when Title IX passed 50 years ago, it was all about protecting women. It was about protecting sports and, and spaces for women. And that if women, who were clearly the females of the species, because every single primate species that walks the earth is bifurcated, if you will, male and female, except humans were supposed to say now. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. But Title IX exists to protect the interests of women, sometimes effectively, sometimes a little over the top. I have my, my issues with it. But at the point that you can have, for instance, and I just came across this, uh, little boys playing in little girls softball leagues and making the all-star team and dominating the play. And this is little kids from a hotbed area of Armstrong and Getty listeners on up to college sports, high school trap meet track meets, uh, college pools, the rest of it. What does title nine mean? Okay. So you, you made it. So we have to, uh, support women's track and field. Okay, great. I actually, I love that because sports are wonderful for girls and women. Um, But you can have dudes compete in them and whoop up on all the girls. What did Title IX do exactly, except form a lesser league for boys to dominate? Yeah, the lawyer for those crazy ideas is now perceived to be, at least, the Democratic Party. People want a different lawyer. Speaking of lawyers, the lawsuit that you dare not mention, described by another reasonable liberal fellow. Coming up next.
5: the armstrong and getty show
2: coming up gordon chang going to be talking about the coming economic collapse of china what that's right really interesting could have a huge impact Plus, uh, at armstrongandgetty.com, we have the tape of Nancy Pelosi shoving a little Mexican-American girl aside. A BIPOC, a Latinx, if you will. Little girl. Shocking video. Kinda so don't her.
0: mess with me.
2: Yeah, clearly not. Uh, plus, the uh, welcome to the spicy times. Armstrong and Getty t-shirts are flying off the shelves as they should, since these are the spicy times. Barely have time to squeeze this in, but I'm going to do do my best. The radical transgender activist thing is scary these days. And I'm not talking about transgender folks should get the rights and not be hurt and should be able to work, etc That's perfectly reasonable. My goodness. Everybody gets their basic human rights, their American rights. I don't care what you look like, what's going on in your life. But the radical queer theory type folks from the whole critical theory school of thought that want to say there's no such thing as male and female. There's no such thing as gay and straight. There's no such thing as sex. There's no such thing as gender. We need to erase all of those lines. I mean, that's just craziness. And they've tried to shame gay people and transgender people who have thought, no, I just I, I'm i a normal human being. I, I know there are men and women. I'm just mismatched or whatever, or I'm a gay person. I'd rather be with the same, same sex, whatever. They've tried to Shame people like that into believing they have to support the radical gender theory stuff, which is crazy. Anyway, having said that, Matt Taibbi, classical liberal, brilliant writer too, uh, but he uh, he starts his his piece that I found was that I thought was so terrific, describing the breathless coverage of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, and how much attention it got. Uh, uh, a woman who was allegedly the target of abuse. Uh, but the press ignored what he describes as a lawsuit. Zero interest in a lawsuit filed by a far poorer female abuse victim and victims. Janine Chandler et al. v. California Department of Corrections targeted a new California state law, the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act. The statute, get this now, allows any prisoner who self-identifies as a woman, including prisoners with penises who may have stopped taking hormones... ...into women's prisons. There was nothing TV-friendly about the scenes depicted in the complaint. Plaintiff Crystal Gonzalez is a female offender currently incarcerated in Central California Women's Facility. Crystal was sexually assaulted, raped, by a man transferred to her unit under the law, SB 132 that we're talking about. Crystal filed a grievance, requested single-sex housing away from men. The prison's response to Crystal's grievance referred to her assault by a transgender woman with a penis. Crystal does not believe that women have penises. The person who raped her certainly seemed to be a man. But somehow, I'm departing now from Taibbi's text, the state of California has bought the insane woke idea that, no, 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 no. If this person with a penis not taking hormones says, I'm a woman, you put them in a women's prison. If you arrived in a time machine from like three years ago, you're a you're thinking, what is, Joe's spinning out a hypothetical, right? Right? No, no. Welcome to 2022. First of all, you missed the pandemic. Secondly, we've lost our freaking minds. Anyway, Taibbi goes on to say that after a week spent denounced for reviewing the Matt Walsh documentary, What is a Woman? Uh, and say and thinking I would never go near a trans issue again, uh, but the uh, an accident sucked me back. I'd made the point of pride of not reading a line of commentary about her, her Depp, but listened to an episode of Blocked and Reported that touched on it after it was over, and I learned three things that made me furious and think immediately of the Chandler case, this poor inmate case. And there are more cases, by the way. She's not alone. One, the ACLU and her parent exchange for a plunge of $3.5 million ghost wrote Herd's offending editorial, uh, including the key lines. Two, Guardian writer Maura Donegan, declared, we're in a moment of virulent anti-feminist backlash. And three, Vice proclaimed without irony, we've all failed, Amber Heard. Almost as one, the establishment press declared itself concerned with the suffering of a rich actress. However, there's a gaping loophole in their concern for women, and Chandler sits in the middle of it. Let's talk about the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. One of the key lines from the Heard editorial in the context of this case. Chandler is a headline legal action in a nationwide battle over whether or not prisoners who self-identify as women, including those with histories of rape and sexual abuse, should be allowed to transfer to women's correctional facilities. There have been both official and unofficial policy changes on this front in a growing collection of states across the country. These often happen with little to no public debate because this issue may be the most impenetrable media taboo in America now. I would agree completely, Matt. Matt. And, you know, we, we take a chance every time we address this stuff on the Armstrong and Getty show. He talks about this uh, organization. It's an acronym. It spells out wolf. It's not significant that it spells out wolf. Don't get hung up on it. But the group bringing the suit wolf has been targeted from every conceivable angle by pressure and censorship campaigns. These people are trying to keep female inmates from getting raped, but they've been brutalized. Well, we at least heard about the protesting Canadian truckers having their GoFundMe campaigns frozen. Wolf didn't even bother trying to raise money on GoFundMe because they ban you just as easily, as their legal director put it. They moved to a purportedly speechier platform, GiveButter. It's an odd name, but anyway, hoping they would have less of a censorious kind of view. But even GiveButter soon gave Wolf the boot. It, and they won't comment. It was just a fun, general fundraiser, said their board member, and they said we violated their community standards. So now we're on Give, Send, Go, which is a Christian crowdfunding site, which Taibi points out is slightly, uh, Slightly interesting that a feminist activist group had to seek cyber refuge in a Christian fundraising company. I don't find it that surprising, but anyway. It's become tantamount to career suicide to be associated with Wolf, this group trying to protect women with vaginas. Perhaps you've heard of women? In April, one of its board members was disinvited to a speech on British romanticism. She was supposed to give at Harvard. The author of the rejection letter nearly shivered with intellectual fright. Quote, My co-coordinator has refused to extend to you a formal offer to speak at our colloquium. I can't fight for you on this. Even if I were to push your visit past the co-coordinator, it'll be near impossible to get our two faculty members to sign on to funding your visit once they learn of your online presence, meaning defending female inmates. Wolf has trouble attracting board members because as a 501c3, the names of board members have to be public. Even the group's advisory council is quasi-secret by necessity. Quote, we have women on our advisory council who have to remain anonymous because they have jobs or their spouses have jobs. There are so many people who just can't publicly associate with us. Even people who submit declarations in Wolf's prison case may not be immune. On May 31st, biologist and substack author Colin Wright submitted a declaration in the Chandler case, essentially testifying to the biological difference between men and women. Being male or female is an immutable characteristic of each human, he wrote. Again, recent arrivals from the year 2019. Yeah, we have to have experts testify to that in cases now. I know. I know. It's insane. On June 10th, Wright, the uh, biologist, was informed by Etsy, the online platform, that after a comprehensive review, his account was permanently closed. A letter from the firm's contact moderation team deemed him guilty of glorifying hatred or violence toward protective groups for saying there are men and they are women. By the way, on Etsy are all sorts of nasty, obscene, violent stickers and, and buttons and, and posters saying F.J.K. Rowling, F. Turfs, which is trans exclusionary radical feminist, all sorts of angry, obscene stuff against anybody who says there are men and there are women. I wish we had a little more time for Taibbi's point, but he makes the case, if we are in a place where you can't even say we have to stop women from getting raped in prison by these non-women claiming to be women, you can't even say that out loud. Out loud. We are in sick, sick times. And I would agree, and I would urge you to fight with us against it. If you miss the next segment, grab it. Armstrong and Getty On Demand Podcast.
5: Armstrong.
1: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
2: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
1: To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think
4: I had
2: a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on
1: the wall.